Okay. Hello, everyone. Hello. Come on in. Come on in. Find a seat. I don't know where, but find a seat. Oh, there's a You might have to spread out. There's a, there you go. There's one there. All right. So my name is Scott Irwin, and I am the college pastor at Sunnybrook Christian Church. Uh, myself and Drew Moss, who is here around somewhere, and Rachel Vincent, which is, she's here in the back over there. Um, the three of us together kind of help lead this, this crazy thing. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about us and, and how you can get a hold of us here in just a second and why you'd want to do that. But we're glad you're here. We know there's a lot of you that are visiting for the first time, and um, we're, we're really glad you're here because tonight's really a special night. And it's the beginning of a new series that we're starting on relationships. So if you walked in, you should have been handed one of these. And this, this goes through um, the different nights, what we're going to be talking about. Uh, every, every semester we have a Q&A night. And we decided to put our Q&A night at the end of our, this relationship series because we know that whenever we start talking about relationships, it just stirs up a lot of things in you because it's a really big deal. And, and there's a lot of questions that you may have and a lot of things that you may be wrestling with. And so, and so we'll have this Q&A night at the end of this series and where we, we'll come back and you can ask any and every question. We'll have a panel up here um, to talk through some things. Um, and it doesn't even have to be about relationships. It can be about whatever. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that as, a, as it could, gets closer here. But if, if you don't want to wait until the end of this series to ha- ask a question, we have this this number that you can text, if you text table question to this number, okay, you'll receive a form, and the form will allow you to ask a question. Now, it'll ha- ask for a name, and if you, if you want to be anonymous, you can put a fake name. If, uh, it'll ask for an email, because it has to, and if you want to be anonymous, put a fake email, and then you can ask your question. It, it, no matter how you, whatever you put in those blanks, the question will come to us, and we'll be able to we'll be able to see that question and maybe answer it. If you, if you have a specific question that you want us to, to answer, then obviously put your name and email. We'll, we'll, we'll reach out to you. So there's that. And, and that'll, this will be available throughout the whole series, throughout the next six weeks. And if, um, for some reason, for whatever reason, you feel like you've got a personal issue that you want to talk with either myself or Drew or Rachel, our numbers are up here, and you can text us anytime. We won't reply anytime, but we will reply whenever we can, and, and uh, you know, re- we, we just want to make ourselves available to you. Did someone just text me right now? <laughs> yes. I'm gonna... Okay. It wasn't anybody in here, so we're good. Uh, that would have been a funny joke. But we, we do. We, Drew and, and Rachel and I want to be available to you, um, again, because we know these are important things that we're going to talk about. So there's that. Asking questions. Please do that. Uh, tonight is a different night than the rest of the series. Um, next week, as we, when we talk about manhood, we're going to talk more about uh, cultural and, and maybe worldly definitions of this. And then we're going to talk about what the Bible says about it. And we'll, we'll have two, two parts, two halves, two different speakers, similar to the way we normally do it at the table. Um, but tonight is a little different. We have a guest speaker. And his name is John Fobert, Dr. John Fobert. Um, he is going to come up, and he's going to present some information, and, and basically he's written a book called How Pornography Harms, 
And I should have brought a copy. I didn't bring my copy. But it's, it's yeah, you guys Google it and you'll find it. Um, so he, now John is, he's written a book on this. He's, he's been an expert in this field for quite some time. Um, he's worked with, um, he, he's a professor here at the college. Uh, he was a member of Sunnybrook before he and his family moved to, to Edmond. Um, we, we love and respect him a lot, and he's really good at what he does. He's really good at research. He's really good at finding out what's going on. And, and so he really s sat down, what was it, five-plus years ago? When, when did you start to tackle this, this issue? Ten, ten years ago. And has been working to, to kind of get to, as, I think as best we can, the bottom of this issue and finding out what's going on and how it's harming us. Um, so he's going to get up and talk. He came and spoke to our, just the pastors of our church, and then, he, then we invited him to come and speak to the whole staff. And, and I'm telling you, it's, it's sobering um, what he's going to talk about. And so I want, to, I want to talk briefly, just quickly to you, about how to listen to what he's going to say. Um, because uh, I hope that some of you, uh, when, when you hear some of the things that are going on and, and some of the things he's, he's going to present, that you get sick to your stomach. Because my guess is, everyone, if, if not everyone, most all of you walked into this place, and if we, asked you the, if we had you answer this question, is pornography bad? You would say yes. Does God think it's bad? You would probably say yes. Most all of you, if not all of you. So we're, we're operating from that basic assumption. We're not here to tell you something you already know. But what I'm, what I'm going to say after listening to him present this twice is that I don't think you know how bad... It is, and I don't think you know how much it's affected you already, and that it is affecting you, and it's affecting our culture in, in some pretty big ways. And so, so for those of you who come in tonight and you're not necessarily like struggling with this, then I would say lean into what he's saying because I guarantee it's affecting someone you know and love, and and it's it's affecting if it's not affecting you, it's going to affect future relationships. It's going to affect your children. I mean, this is. This is a pandemic issue. So, so listen in that way. Those of you who walked into this room and are struggling with this issue, okay, I want to say to you, um, you will be tempted at some point to feel shame and guilt as he may be describing how this affects it and how the, whenever we um, participate in it, it just furthers this, this issue. Uh, you may feel a tinge of guilt or shame because... This is something you struggle with, and this is something that you can't seem to overcome. And so I want to tell you, ignore that voice that says, don't listen to what he's saying because you're so bad you can't, or how dare you, or if only they knew. There, there's loud voices that may be coming through your head, and, and you, it may distract you from hearing some really valuable information. And, and so I want you to do that. I want you to not let shame and guilt distract you from what he's saying, but I also want you to, to know that at the end of this, when we get done here, we're going to take a little break, and then Drew and myself and John are going to get back up here and talk more about practical ways and um, ways to find um, redemption and restoration in this issue and, uh, and, and to really, really move forward, because I really do believe. Those of you, some of you walked into this room and you're struggling and you know um, I believe that tonight could be the beginning of a lifelong change. And I, and I think we, we've got seven weeks left in the semester. 
And, and I don't know what God has in store for what's going to happen after this, how we go forward with this, but I, I do know that at, by the end of this semester, you could be seven weeks sober. I absolutely believe that, based on some of the materials, based on some of the opportunities that are available to you tonight and even in this city. And so, uh, and, and with people that are in this community that would love to come and walk alongside of you. And so, uh, I just want to say there's hope and, and help available, and, and so I'm glad you're here. Um, so we're going to talk through that. Um, I think that's all I need to say before, before he gets up, but let me pray, and we'll have John come up. God, thank you for, uh, thank you for allowing us a, a place and a space for us to be able to talk about real issues. Um, issues that are affecting us all around us in our culture, but also issues that maybe some of us personally are dealing with and struggling with and maybe drowning in. And so I'm thankful for tonight, and I'm, I'm thankful for uh, John being here and, and sharing his heart and sharing his, what, what you've provided for him and given him um, to be able to share for us to us. And uh, so, God, we, we ask that you be glorified in all things. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you all so much for um, coming out. I'm going to dive right in and tell you what my goals are for this evening. Um, one is to blow your mind. Um, another is uh, to make it awkward because you really can't have a conversation about pornography without being a little awkward at some point. So... Um, and then I also want to give you an idea of what we can do. Um, so I, I, I do want to give you a message of hope. I also want to recognize from the very beginning that this is difficult stuff to think about, to talk about. Um, and so you need to take a break. I realize it might be hard to get out of here because it's kind of packed in, but tune me out or whatever. Um, but, and, and obviously take a break at any time. What, um, what I'm going to talk about tonight, that's actually uh, the cover of, of the book I wrote that Scott forgot. Um, <laughs> but um, but I, I don't want you to think I'm just some guy who walked off the street and, um, to talk about this stuff. I, I wrote this book, it came out a couple of months ago, uh, called How Pornography Harms, and I did it based on reading 150 of the most recent uh, studies that have been done on pornography, about 24 books, I interviewed a dozen scholars who are doing cutting-edge research in the area, and then I also interviewed 24 people whose lives have been directly impacted by pornography. Some of them are people who are addicted. I interviewed a, a woman who was in the porn industry for a year and a half. I interviewed a guy who went to prison for child pornography. Um, so I, I interviewed lots of different people because I also wanted the human element. Um, in addition just to all the numbers that I was, I was reading. So I'm going to give you a, a couple of their stories tonight, or at least a couple of quotes from a couple of their stories, uh, in addition to what I talk about. And obviously what, what Scott said is um, you don't need a big lecture on why God hates pornography, but I do want to set a theological um, basis for where we're headed. One of the, one of the um, experts that I interviewed was a, a professor at, at Dallas Seminary, and the way he described why pornography is, is wrong is that it essentially tears away from that monogamous relationship that God wanted to have uh, us have between husband and wife. And one of his quotes was, if you look on a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart, and you can't really look at pornography without lust happening. So 
that's that's a little part of it. The, one of the biggest things that I learned from that interview is how do we actually approach uh, the issue of uh, different sins that might tempt us? And when the Bible talks about having opposition from Satan himself, he's, he tells us to stand. Okay, so stand, having done everything, stand, stand firm, um, stand against the wiles of the devil. But when the Bible talks about sins of the flesh, it tells us to flee. So flee sexual immorality, flee youthful lust, which I think if we're thinking from human logic, we might reverse those two. Like, well, I, sh I can stand um, sins of the flesh, but if Satan's there, I'm going to run away. No, he wants us to stand firm in the face of Satan himself, but when it comes to sins of the flesh, we're supposed to flee. And so I think that, that needs us, is, is helpful to give us a real healthy sense of, whoa, we're entering dark territory here that we can't handle on our own. So I, I, that's an important thing, I think, for us to remember. Now, the, the first thing to understand about pornography is that it's a business. If you went to a meeting of pornography executives, they wouldn't be talking about sex, they'd be talking about money and how to make it more effectively. That's what they want to do. It is all about money to them, and in fact, they're very, very successful at doing it. If you took um, the profits of the companies I have up here, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix, and you add them all up, you still don't get to porn. Porn makes $100 billion every year worldwide. Okay, so it's not just number one on the list of industries. It dwarfs the next seven. Okay, so there is a lot of money in porn. And because there's so much money, there's a, they, they have a big stake in keeping that money and also in trying to grow it. Now, I'm curious as to what you all think. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of multiple choice questions, and we can just raise our hands on these. I will not ask you to say anything personal. I'm just asking you um, to, to guess. Um, if you were to guess what percentage of boys uh, have, have seen pornography before they graduate from high school, okay, A, 14%, B, 49%, C, 62%, D, 93%. Hands on A, hands on B, hands on C, hands on D. Most of you are correct, it's D. Okay, so before graduating high school, 93% uh, of boys have seen pornography. All of those numbers that are on there mean something, though. They, they are significant. 62% uh, of girls, by the time they graduate high school, have seen pornography at least once. Now, this could be saw it once, thought it was disgusting, never wanted to see it again, and didn't. Or it could be seeing it several times a day. So this particular study doesn't differentiate between those two. But the, the other numbers there, 14 and 49%, refer to boys under 13. In 2008, 14% of boys under 13 uh, had, had seen pornography. By 2011, 49% had. What do you think happened between 2008 and 2011? The iPhone. Okay, the iPhone absolutely changed the game. Um, and not only was there that jump from 14 to 49%, daily use among boys under 13 doubled. So we had a lot of changes there. Right now, about the average age of seeing uh, hardcore pornography uh, among uh, boys is about 11. And I'm hearing that that's dropping, but I don't have good data on that yet. But it is likely dropping. 
Um, how does this tend to affect adolescents? The interesting thing is that when girls see pornography, one of the more common reactions they have is to compare their body to the body they see in porn and think, I don't look like that, I'll never look like that, and there's some inferiority. With, with boys, it tends to lead to more sexual harassment, uh, sexual assault, not everybody, but um, makes that more likely. Conduct problems, and then the big thing that I keep seeing over and over again is depression. One, there, there are kind of two, two, two theories on that. One is that boys who are depressed go to pornography to, to experience something that can raise their mood. Um, the, the other thing is, the other theory is that the more people use pornography, the more depressed they get because of some of the neurochemical changes that happen. We're not sure yet, but we do know that they're pretty strongly associated. Now, Paul, and this is actually not his name, but Paul is a uh, someone I interviewed, he's about 20 years old now, and here's what he said happened to him at age 14. He said, my teammates, he played uh, high school football, would be like joking around like, look at this, and they pull up some porn video on their iPhone. I remember one time a guy after practice thought it was ridiculous I'd never seen porn, so he would show it to me. And this is a theme that, that came out from a lot of the guys I talked to. Um, Paul is someone who grew up in a home where they had very little technology. Um, they really... Uh, made a strong effort to to keep their kids away from outside influences, um, and he was a, a real a solid believer by a very young age. And when the other kids on the football team found that out, they made it their mission to show him porn as much as they could. And it almost I think with with a generation that's come right after you, and to some extent that bleeds into your generation, it's become a rite of passage, especially for boys. If you haven't seen it, your friends are going to put it in your face. Okay, with Paul, he then developed an addiction, and he was addicted to pornography to, for two years. Um, and I'm glad to say he's been clean for three. Okay, so the Lord is a, is powerful indeed. Now, when we get to people who are older, the best studies right now of men 18 to 30, 79 percent um, are using porn at least monthly. Okay, 79% of men in the United States age 18 to 30, at least monthly, 29% at least daily. Girls, uh, excuse me, women, um, a little different, monthly use, 42%, so it's not just the guys looking at porn. Um, daily use is obviously a lot lower, 7%. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of these statistics, but one of the things I can tell you is there's a little bit of a difference between Christian men and non-Christian men, with Christian men looking a little bit less frequently, but it's not a whole lot less. With women, it's a much bigger difference. Christian women, much less likely than your average woman to look at pornography. I know the what there, not so much the why. Um, we, we still haven't done research on that. But getting to Christian men, how many, uh, what, per, what percent of Christian men you think view pornography at least monthly? I've told you for the public at large. 15, 27, 37, or 64 percent. Hands on A. Hands on B. You've gotten cynical already. Hands on, <laughs> hands on C and hands on D. The Ds are, are correct. 64% um, of Christian men uh, look at porn at least monthly. Uh, the 37%, um, that's the percentage of Christian men who look several times a week. Uh, the 27% is at least once a month for men. Uh, and 15% is uh, monthly use for Christian women. 
So that's where all these numbers come from. And it's all on this slide. I won't belabor it too much. But if you add this several times a week and the once a month and the men, you get to the 64% figure. It goes on from there. You notice the never, it's uh, 3%. Okay, so, and again, th this in some cases could be somewhat involuntary. In a lot of cases, it's not so involuntary. Um, one of the things that people who have been studying porn for a long time, have said for a long time is, and you might have heard of this before, porno pornography objectifies women. How many of you have ever heard that kind of phrase before? Okay. So it was sort of a, it was a theoretical argument that was made for a long time. Essentially that porn takes a person and makes it into an object um, so that we don't see the person for who, certainly for who God made them in his image, but that there's, they're a thing, not a person. Well, we now have data to back that up. What, um, what some neurologists did, and this was a secular study, um, they hooked up men to MRIs to look at their brain waves and showed them porn. And the parts of the brain that lit up, that were activated when these men were looking at porn, are the parts of the brain that light up with objects, not people. So literally, as men were looking at porn, what they were seeing was, this is an object, it's not a person. And why that's so important is that the more you objectify a person, the easier it is to be violent against them. Okay? Hitler called Jews rats because rats are less than human. What do you do with rats? You exterminate them. Okay? Lots of people have used that technique over, over the course of history. Now, who can explain to me what a hijacking is? A basic definition of a hijacking. This is a gimme question. Okay, taking over something. Okay, um, when we think of hijacking, often we think of an airplane like this dude is, um, I used to say, um, take me to Cuba, but that's no longer some place where you have to hijack to go, I guess. But, um, great. Um, but what pornography does is it really hijacks the most important sexual organ, and that's the brain. And it, it gets into the brain chemistry and literally um, can form um, an addiction. Now, not all people look at porn or addicted, um, but here's, here's essentially what happens. You're born with certain neural pathways, so it's like different highways that run all, all the way through your brain, and they become strengthened as you learn different things. Like, for example, and it's, un, it's not necessarily things you learn in school, but I see a hamburger, I want to eat it and um, it's tasty, and I know when I eat it, it's going to be taste. Sorry for the vegetarians. But when I you know, eat this, it's going to be... So your brain's like, see hamburger, you know, mouth waters, then I'm going to eat the hamburger. It's like these little associations that just get made inside people's brains. Well, the way that our brains are, are wired is you see someone of the other sex, and, you know, once you get to a certain age, 12, 13, 14, whatever that is, you're like cool stuff, you know, and, um, and that's kind of, and, and God wanted us, you know, men and women, there are a lot of differences, okay, he wanted us to have something that would draw each other together, so there's the, the physical um, drawing together, and what pornography does is it binds people to pixels instead of people, and so over time, it doesn't happen right at first, but over time what happens to the user who uses over and over and over and over again is they become more aroused with the images on their iPhone than to a person in front of them. And so those neural pathways are totally rerouted. 
And so it, it, just, it gets into the brain. It's as addictive as, as cocaine or heroin or anything else. And one of the ways it does this, and it wasn't the case with like Playboy magazine years ago or, or even VHS tapes. Because there are so many different links on, on porn websites, for example, and this is obviously just, you know, uh, nature scenes or whatever, but um, not that kind of nature, but... Um, <laughs> But at any rate, so, so when, when someone goes to a porn website, they can rifle through so many images so quickly. It's what's called a supranormal stimulus. It wasn't intended by nature. And they can go through so many different images to pick exactly the right one. What is this person's hair color, eye color, you know, body type, all of those sorts of things. And what it does is it gives you a rush of dopamine that your brain eventually can't handle. Um, and this is particularly with the high-speed internet pornography. So this rush of dopamine, dopamine is the thing in your brain that makes you want something. Doesn't make you necessarily like it, that's more the endorphins and all that. But the dopamine, it, that I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. Okay, so we want food, we want lot, lots of it, but, but I want it. And the brain becomes um, retrained so that it can only uh, be stimulated over time to the images because that just can't be matched by a human body. We don't, you know, click a mouse and change body parts on our, you know, on our husbands or wives or whomever. So over time, it can lead to an addiction and often does. And I want to tell you um, about Greg's experience. Um, Greg grew up in a Christian home. Um, a believer was involved in a, a campus ministry group and um, currently is, well, excuse me, he was teaching at a private school and um, that's his most recent employment. He said, at first, uh, watching people have sex disturbed me, and I didn't want to see it, but I developed tolerance. So what shocked me became interesting, and what used to interest me became boring, and it took more variety, more frequency to get the same effect. And that's what happens with pornography. In order to get that dopamine rush that the person had the first or second or third time, they have to look at more extreme images to get that same high. And so that's when you see people starting to get into more violent pornography, child pornography, lots of things that they can get that, um, that high from or close to it that they had when they first watched. Now, how many would you, believe, would you agree with that sin is rooted in a lie? Just generally as a concept? Well, one of the, the porn industry has lots of lies. One of them is that somehow porn is going to improve your sex life. They say that all the time. Um, the truth is, and this is a, a study on men, the more men use porn, the more they, more they actually use it during sex. I talked to one woman who was in her 30s, and she said every time she has sex with her husband, he puts his iPhone above her head and watches porn as he's having sex with her. Um, they also tend to request acts that are in pornography the more they watch it. Right now, one of the more popular things that they're asking for is male-to-female male anal sex. Um, because that's in a lot of pornography. And if you look at the medical journals right now, rectal damage in women is skyrocketing. Okay, it doesn't take a PhD to figure out why that might be the case. Um, the more men watch it, the more they worry about their own body and performance. And then the kicker, they actually enjoy sex less the more they watch it. So it becomes a vicious cycle. Now, because I haven't talked about enough controversial stuff yet, we're going to talk about erectile dysfunction. Um, how many men under 30 do you think, what percentage of men under 30 have erectile dysfunction? Okay, the inability to obtain or maintain an erection. Less than 1%, 7%, 33%, or 60%? 
men under 30, all right? Hands on A, hands on B, hands on C, hands on D. Okay, it's not always going to be D, all right? It's, it is C. Um, but uh, again, all the numbers mean something. If you took a look at the statistics in the 1940s, less than 1% of men had erectile dysfunction. Okay, that's how God made us. We're not, before we're 30, we don't tend to have erectile dysfunction. Okay, so less than 1%. By 19, the 1990s, 7% of men had erectile dysfunction, and the urologists were like, what on earth is happening here? Well, there was a lot more porn available in the 90s than there was uh, in the 40s. 2014, a third of men have erectile dysfunction, guys under 30. And they are running into doctor's offices begging for Viagra and Cialis so they can function with a person. The 60% does mean something. Those are men who are addicted to porn. Once they're addicted, most of them have erectile dysfunction. This is not how God designed it. So, and the next slide simply just has those numbers. Um, the interesting thing, too, about those who have erectile dysfunction after using so much porn is they have erectile dysfunction with a partner, but not with the porn. So all the body parts still work, it's just they can't become aroused unless they're watching porn. So one of the trends that's happened over time, um, there's kind of two parallel trends. Um, back in the 80s, violence was pretty rare in pornography, and most of, the, most of the pornography was in magazine form. Then you get a little later, in the 90s it became a little more violent, and then most uh, porn was in videos, VHS tapes. Do you even know what a VHS tape? Oh, thank goodness. Okay. Um, and, then, um, and then finally, more recently, what is now mainstream pornography is extremely violent. And what is more, more, the, the way it's more typically watched is video clips. Now, before with the movies, um, there was a study that was done, and there was... Um, it was people from NYU and University of Arkansas, they got 50 porn films, the top 25 rented and the top 25 purchased porn films of that particular year. They sat down and watched all of them. They coded all the behavior. What happens when, all this other kind of stuff. And 88% of the scenes in those movies, not 88% of the movies, but 88% of the scenes, the sorts of behaviors that you see up on the slide. Then in 41% of the movies, okay, not every movie, but 41% of the movies, you'd have male to female anal sex and then immediate oral sex. So essentially, eat your own excrement was the message, literally and figuratively. Now, th that was movies. Um, what is now more popular, obviously, are, are clips on the, on the Internet. And right now, almost half, and it's probably surpassed that by now because this is getting to be an old study from 2010, and with an, at least one man ejaculating on the woman's face. That is done deliberately to demean the woman. Okay, many, and sometimes it's, it's several men. Now, the other interesting thing about studies about pornography is they've been able to trace what happens before and after in different scenes, and that's where this slide up here comes in. If someone is violent with another person in porn, usually a man towards a woman, 95% of the time, one of two things happens. Either she responds with pleasure, or she has no response. Not like, get away from me, pig. Okay? So think about this for a second. Wrap your head around it. Man is violent with woman almost all the time. She likes it, or she just has no response. 
thing I worry about more than anything is your 11-year-old boys who are watching that, who are saying, oh, in sex, I guess she likes to be hit. And your young girls who are watching that and, and who are thinking, I guess if he hits me, I'm supposed to like it. The porn industry is trying to rewire our brains and reset the script for what sex is like today. Now, I get asked a lot, and in fact, I've studied porn for 10 years. I've studied sexual violence for 25. That's what I originally started doing, and I still do. And there have been 50 studies that have shown a direct link between porn and sexual violence. Now, it, it, isn't a, it isn't like an automatic, like someone who watches porn automatically commits sexual violence. It, it, it's not like that. But it makes it much more likely. Okay? Um, and there's every design known to man that people have used in studies, correlational, causal, experimental, all that other kind of stuff. Um, and believe it or not, there are people who call themselves professors who say that the connection between porn and sexual violence is merely assumed. It hasn't been shown in any you know, reputable study. Well, 50, 50 studies have shown this. And to give you an idea, in social science, we deal with odds. Okay? We don't, we're not chemists. We don't you know, mix the same things and the same thing happens every time. But we deal with odds. And so um, usually if we're 95% sure this couldn't have occurred due to chance, we're, we're pretty confident it's the case. So you take 50 studies. The odds that there is no relationship between porn and sexual violence, the odds that all 50 of these studies is wrong, is 1 in 88 destrillion. Okay, destrillion, nonillion, octillion, septillion, sextillion, quintillion, quadrillion, trillion, billion, million, and on down. Okay, that's how big a destrillion, 88 destrillion. And to give you an idea of what, how much that is, like if, I, if we had pennies and we filled this whole room with pennies, would that be a lot of pennies? All right. Would it be kind of hard to pick out the right penny out of this whole room of pennies that was filled floor-to-ceiling? Obviously. Fill the Empire State Building, floor-to-ceiling, every room in it with pennies. Multiply that by a billion. Have a billion Empire State Buildings floor-to-ceiling with pennies. And the odds of me being wrong about this connection is the odds of picking the right out of one of a billion Empire State Buildings, going to the correct floor, going to the correct room, and picking out that one penny. They're connected. So, what, what, what does the research actually tell us? What pornography does is it gives, per, it, it gives permission-giving beliefs. So basically, the more people watch it, the more they think certain things are okay. Um, one of the things we know about sex offenders is they tend to be fairly impulsive people. So if we have a guy who's really like, impulsive, not a whole lot of self-control, sees something, grabs it, this is a guy's probably shoplifts because he sees something he wants that he can't afford it. Just any number of things like that. If, if men are impulsive and they use porn frequently, that's going to significantly increase the likelihood he's, he's going to commit sexual violence. The other thing is a lot of sex offenders, if you combine uh, a strong desire for impersonal sex, so, you know, I want to get in, get out, and move on. I don't want to know her name. Okay, the impersonal sex combined with hostility towards women We've known for a long time that those tended to lead to sexual violence, but we couldn't figure out, because there was a big missing factor there that we couldn't figure out, because not all men who were like that would actually commit sexual violence. And then they decided, ooh, let's add porn to that study. Frequent porn use. Bam, it went through the roof. So essentially you combine a guy who wants impersonal sex with hostility towards women and he uses porn a lot, he's going to be pretty likely to commit sexual violence. 
Again, porn is not the sole cause. Please don't mishear me. I'm not saying porn equals rape, but it makes it much more likely the more someone uses it. And it, give, it gives men the permission to do it because that's what they're seeing. About 20 years ago, child pornography was almost wiped off the map. Pre-internet, it was all through three different, it was distributed in, through the mail, three different places in the U.S. The Justice Department shut them down. Almost all the child porn was gone. The internet hit, all bets were off. Right now, about one in five, or excuse me, 20% of the profits of the porn industry come from child porn, um, and about one in five men who use porn are also looking at child porn. Um, and the, one of the really scary things about that is the more they look at it and the more they um, gratify themselves to it, the more they become sexually attracted to younger and younger and younger people. Um, and one of the reasons why this is becoming so common is that the porn industry is looking to use younger and younger models. Um, and they, you know, they, they will look for people who are 18, but they look like they're 15. The other thing is, and I've been told um, by people in the industry that this is the case, if someone shows up on the set of a porn film and gives them an ID, it doesn't matter how bad that ID is. If it says they're 18, they can be in the film. Okay, so you have a lot of people who are 15, 16, have an ID that says they're 18, and then they're, they're in porn. That not to mention a lot of the homemade porn that's uploaded to the internet. So, and for, for some of them, that is going to lead uh, to child use. Now, there's another uh, person I'll, I'll um, introduce you to, and that's Tommy. This is not really a picture of Tommy. Um, it's just some random dude off the internet. But, um, <laughs> but I, I, I googled 18-year-old male, and that's, you know. Um, he's not an OSU student or anything, but... Um, but this is actually, a, it, it's a serious point. I try and have a little laughter to break the tension. But, um, but at any rate, all right, so I, so I asked Tommy, and I asked all of the 24 people I interviewed. I didn't say, have you ever seen child porn? They'd all say no. So I say, what is the youngest person you think you've ever seen in pornography? How, how young do you think they were? This was his response. He think the youngest I've seen would probably be 15 or 14, mainly the female. It's mainly like an older adult, like a homemade video with a younger girl. Usually the guy's like 18, not much older. It's always a girl who doesn't really know what to do, so the male just kind of takes over, controls the whole thing. It's almost like abuse. It's like forcing her because they're so young. It's kind of hard to watch, I guess. I don't find anything like that arousing. Just seeing someone in pain, clearly not enjoying it, feeling like it's abusive. What Tommy didn't have the words to say is that he was watching the rape of a 14-year-old girl at the hands of an 18-year-old boy who then uploaded it to the Internet for anybody to see. And a lot of porn now is in the homemade variety, um, uploaded to websites where people can access it. And those images, they just never go away. They can never be fully deleted. So there was um, a, a porn producer who was once asked, like, why do you do what you do? Why, you know, why do you uh, make porn? And he said, I want to show what I believe men want to see, violence against women. I firmly believe we serve a purpose by showing that, trying to inundate the world with orgasms in the face. Sometimes they're honest when you ask them a question. But is there any hope? Love that picture. Yes. Um, interestingly enough, one, some of the things that people have studied, as people, if people are using a lot of pornography and then they back off, they become more committed to their partners. Um, in addition, the way our brains are designed, they're designed with what's called neuroplasticity, which means they may be rewired, but if someone abstains from porn, eventually they'll reset. 
Okay, takes anywhere between two months and two years of absolute abstinence from porn. Not a short amount of time. But it does happen. I've talked to a lot of guys that, that who have abstained and they've been able to then function again. The other thing, and this is from a couple of studies I did, I wanted to study people's belief systems and um, how that intersected with, with porn use. And what I found is that the more people were reading the Bible, uh, the more they were into their faith, and the more frequently they attended church, the less frequently they were looking at porn. Okay, that's not to say no one in the church uses porn. We, I, we've dispelled that myth already. But the, the gospel is powerful and effective. <laughs> Reading the Bible is powerful and effective. And so don't give up hope. Um, our responsibility, and I think this is real important, you know, you, porn is horrible. There's, there's just, I mean, there's no uh, superlative that we can come up with that describes how awful it is. But we need to remember that when we're kind of marching arm in arm with each other um, in this spiritual battle, if someone else is caught in a sin, we're supposed to restore them gently, not violently. It's not getting in, the fa in their face and saying, I'm never going to talk to you again, you miserable scum. Stop using porn. It's to restore them gently. And there are other verses there, too. Um, I'm going to skip some of these slides because it's a little bit about um, how to get through using porn, and we'll have some Q&A about that. The one thing I will uh, highlight is Covenant Eyes is one of many different programs people use to filter their, their Internet. Um, I have a relationship with them, so anybody can get a, um, a month free with them, and there's a flyer here. So if anybody wants, wants that, um, I can get you a discount there. Um, but let me highlight a couple things. There, there are now some online programs which are really good for people who, who don't want to sit face to face with a counselor, aren't ready for an accountability partner. Um, but the freedomfight.org, and you'll get that uh, URL on something um, that's going to be passed out a little later, that's like a series of videos and it tells you different exercises to do over the course of you know five, six months. Um, I can also get you a discount on that. Um, it's $49 for students and 20% off that, I guess it would be like $39.95 or something like that. So if you use the code FFFreedomFight2016. Um, also on the uh, handout that goes around is an organization called Pure Desire Ministries. They are awesome and they have uh, all kinds of stuff for men uh, and for women. The best organization I think for women is called Beggar's Daughter. Um, I would point you to that, and there's some others as well. Um, but sometimes the more interesting stuff comes when we, we do get to questions and answers, so we'll get to that in a second. Um, I, 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 I did want to say before we kind of take our little break and, and come back, the, the, the temptation when we get together for an evening like this is to say, okay, porn's awful, um, let me go do my homework and try and forget about this. And, and I think we need to think of this more as a rally cry to engage in a spiritual battle. And I think especially the church has just been very quiet when it comes to this issue because people find it embarrassing or they don't want to talk about it or the pastor doesn't want people coming up afterwards and say, you shouldn't have said that word and my kids heard it. It's time to take the gloves off. Okay, there are a lot of people who are struggling quietly and that's exactly where Satan wants them. So, I would encourage you, if you look once a year or, or once an hour, to find someone you trust and start talking about this more openly. Because what we need is battle buddies. You don't go into combat alone. Rambo was an idiot. He would have been killed 10 seconds in combat. 
Okay? You need, I got that from someone else, but you need a combat team. And that's something I really hope that you'll, you'll take to heart and that the church will start to not necessarily shun people using porn, but restore them gently and help them stay away from it. And I'm not saying just be, oh, nice, you know, there's grace and everything. Come on, let's be real, but let's restore people gently. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think with this next part, we'll mm -hmm. take the mic off. And okay. Just have this sitting right here, and it'll pick us all up. Somehow. Okay. Great. So, great job. There we go. Man, that was only 35 minutes. Wow, I went faster than. <laughs> yeah, I hope that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's good. I can never really time myself. Either I go way over or under. Yeah. Yep.
after this, right? Yeah. More food. More food. More food after. All right. So what's what's a common question that people ask you? How do I get into this? Um, that that's more the public question. The private one is already been addicted for two years and I can't figure out how to get out of Or they'll come and they'll share a success story. You know, like I've been clean for nine months. Yeah. I'm like, awesome. Yeah. Or if my boyfriend is using porn, what do I do? I've taken him back five times. Should I take him back to six times? That's a no. I mean, you know, uh, absolutely. That's good. But just now, I'll, I'll see transition into some some kind of half questions like how do we as individuals and as a church uh, kind of fight against some of this stuff but before we do I want to give you kind of one last uh, charge here it is interesting that um, what what John is talking about here is 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 actually the world and and science and research catching up to what uh, to, to what Christians have been saying for a long time that sex uh, that, that pornography and that sexual sin like cheapens something that is good and beautiful, and and this is something that has been kind of 
spoken because of what the scriptures have said for a long time by Christians, and now even even those who do not consider themselves to be Christians are starting to say, yeah, there is a lot of truth to this. And, and based on this research, there is a lot of reasons to avoid um, sexually explicit imagery. Um, we do find, what, what he said, that it, it hinders our ability for intimacy. I believe not just like physical intimacy, even emotional intimacy, and not just future with your spouse, but present. Um, hinders our ability for intimacy. It cheapens human life and cheapens human beings. And, and we believe people made in the image of God, turning them into objects. And uh, it, it, it has uh, what seems to be pretty bad emotional, psychological effects on those who jump into those things. And on and on it goes. But actually as Christians and as followers of Jesus, and, and I, don't, I don't assume that everyone in this room falls in that category, but, but for those of us who do... <coughs> Uh, we actually have deeper reasons and greater reasons to avoid things like this, to flee things like this. And, and I just want to give a handful of them to you real quick and then discuss those as we move into the next section. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in 16, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 and on. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And Romans 6, where we started our semester in Romans 5, 6, and 8. Verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For, for people who call themselves Christians, Paul says, here is one of your major motivations that we avoid every hint of sexual immorality, not just what we would qualify as pornography, but every hint of sexual immorality, is because if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a person who has been redeemed away from the sin that held you down. You have, you're a person who has been set free from those things, bought by the blood of Jesus. And Paul says that means that your body, the hands you use to click on that mouse, the eyes you use to view those images, don't belong to you. Those belong to the one who purchased you. And therefore we flee from those things because I do not use the temple of the Holy Spirit for sexual sin. And, and, and Paul goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 4 where we were studying last semester, if you want to know God's desire for your life, His will for you, it is this, your sanctification or your holiness. He says that if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are called to be holy as God is holy. And he even says this, that you would not wrong your brother or sister in this. Here's something that Paul kind of mentions early on that the, the church recognized, that sexual sin spills, 
though we want to pretend that it is something that only affects me, always eventually spills over into the people around us. Always eventually has impacts on the community around us. And it says God's desire is for something better than that for you. God's desire is for something greater for holiness. And when you choose sexual sin, you get less of what you were made for, which is namely God himself. Uh, Jesus says it this way, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Which means those who are not, will not. And here's the really good news, though, as we kind of move into this next section, is, is that Romans 6 piece. That you, unlike former you, unlike so many people that you walk around on camps with, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you have given your life to Jesus, that you are a new person who is not enslaved to that anymore. So this this belief or idea that I cannot break free from these things, or I cannot stop doing these things, or I think I can, but then I keep kind of falling back into it, and I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get out of that. Paul says, the Bible says, is a lie that you have in you uh, an ability that non-believers do not have. You have in you a power that someone who is not a Christian does not have, namely the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead inside of you that enables you to no longer do those things, that you do not have to continue giving into those things. One of the greatest motivations of the Bible for not engaging in sexual sin is simply this. That's not who you are. That's, that's, not, that's, that's not who you are anymore. That doesn't match up with the identity you've been given in Christ. And so uh, we still have to ask this question, how? how? Like, how do we practically take steps to overcome sexual sin in our life? But we start with this, this truth that you can. This truth that the Holy Spirit in you is enough to reach for holiness rather than worldliness. Um, to reach for purity and the ability to see God rather than to engage ourselves, to, to um, get ourselves caught and stuck in things that we know we will regret and things that will end up costing us in the long haul. So we start with that, and I hope that you keep this in mind, that if you are a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is in you, so everything that we're going to talk about is completely possible because of that. Now, th- that being said, now we turn to this practical stuff. John, you said, we actually, Scott just asked you, what, what's some of the questions that people come up and ask you um, whenever, whenever they start? And I heard you say, uh, publicly, it's how'd you get into this. Privately, it is, I'm stuck in this. I've been stuck in this for two years. I've been stuck in this for five years. I've been, how do I get out? And so what do you, what do you say to somebody who comes up and says, how do I take steps to get out of this, this sin that seems to have me caught? Um, I would I would first try and figure out what are they doing currently. Um, I think there there's some very basic things we can do. One is to do our 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 best to limit accidental access to pornography, like un, or I might say unintentional. Yeah. So um, like anybody who uses Google should go in and turn on Google Safe Search, um, and it's very easy in the little you know dealy doodle whatever the heck it is up there, and, and you, you hit Google Safe Search. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. But um, but I I reckon for for a while I didn't have on Google Safe Search on my computer because I, well I re- and I don't look at porn to research it but I was afraid some of the articles that I'm trying to read wouldn't come and then I was like so then I would do my presentations and I put in um, you know 18 year old boy and I was like <laughs> when some of the images came up okay so then I put on Google Safe Search so you don't yeah. get as many of those yeah. um, and. That's one quick and easy thing. I think anybody probably below the age of 30 needs to have some kind of accountability software if they have an iPhone, a computer, whichever. 
Um, and at some point, they'll know when they have the maturity um, and the fortitude not to have to have that. But um, I think that's another thing. I think we need um, accountability partners and sometimes groups. Um, not so much to, to say, dude, I just looked at porn. Okay, yeah, you just looked at Okay, all right, well, I told you, bye. I mean, you know, you, the, the, you, it, it, it should be like calling them up to who they are in Christ yeah. yes. and reminding them of that. So I, I think that's, that's a big part of it. The other thing is I think we are called to live differently as believers. Um, and we need, to, if, I, I would say to whoever it is, I said, whatever you're doing now, do take one more radical step than you're using. So if, I, I'd say, do you have an iPhone? Yes. Get rid of it. Do you have a personal computer? Yes. Get rid of it. You know what? You can function without an iPhone, and you can function without a personal computer. But um, And in fact, they now sell dumb phones. They didn't for a while, but there's now a market for phones that you can't get pictures on. Okay? So you, put, you go to um, Amazon, you put in phone, student, child. And because they market them to, to, for kids and students. And then, okay, so then you have a phone. Cause you, so, so limit the opportunities to fall. Yeah. Um, and then get the support system around you to have your battle buddies. That's good. That's good. I think there's some of those things sound, I know, like to some of you, insane. People who grew up with, like, an iPhone as your fifth appendage, right? Like, that's, like, that's just a part of you. Um, but that actually even makes that, how, I didn't even realize as I'm saying this, how closely that connects to Jesus' words, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? Um, like, Jesus says, like, you do insane things because it's worth losing a hand than to lose your body in hell, is what he says, than to lose your whole person in hell. Better to lose that, and so I think there's something. Some of the stuff you may say may sound, and I don't know how anybody does that. I don't know how I'd explain to people why I have a dumb phone instead of a smartphone. I don't know, but but um, if you are caught in something, um, and 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 if we are made for God and the pure in heart see God, then then is not isn't it worth it to do whatever it may take to to be able to have what God is offering to you? And I think Jesus says it is. And, and so I think that's that's good stuff. Scott, would you add anything to it from from your own experience or from counseling stuff, or whatever that you might add? Yeah, I think I think what he said about accountability um, can't just be misery loves company. Mm-hmm. It can't just be um, sharing your sin and yeah, well I messed up too. And okay, well let's try harder this next week. It just doesn't do anything. Um, there needs to be a commitment to who you are in Christ and and who you want to be and you need to have people around you that are willing enough to speak truth into your life and call you call you to something higher and and so your gatherings when you get together with people like this shouldn't just be let's talk about what we did it should be let's talk about who we are and who we want to be and and I think that doesn't fix it um, I made the mistake early on in, in my it is in my mid twenties was when I finally like started talking to somebody about this issue, and I had just started in full time ministry, and I thought as soon as I tell somebody it's going to be fixed because then I'll have to, you know, then I'd have to tell them again, and I, I'll I'll be so scared I wouldn't want to do that, and of course after a while that wears off, and it wore off for my buddies as well, and so I realize accountability doesn't fix you, but but it's desperately needed. And you can call it whatever you want. You can call it a band of brothers if you want. If you want to be all, you know, gladiator, 
um, about it, but but you need to have something. And you need to have someone in your corner that's not only willing to pick you up when you fall, but also willing to smack you upside the head when you're walking away um, and, and, and call you to who you're called to be. That's good. Uh, John, do you, do you have, or, or Scott, do you guys have, when someone comes up to you and says, um, my friend is caught in this, or my, my boyfriend, or my girlfriend, or my sister, cousin, like, what, how do you help a person in this? If it's, if, how do you help a friend who's caught in this stuff? What kind of questions do you ask other than just like, did you mess up again this week? Okay, well, we'll try again next week. Like, how, how do you shape somebody towards, towards a greater goal? Um, you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, I, I, um, let me, I don't think this is dancing around the question, but um, occasionally I'll get a question from a guy, can my girlfriend be my accountability partner? My answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> because you, you may have other motives to say yes or no in the context of that relationship, and so you need another guy. Mm-hmm. Um, now I forgot your question. So how, how do you how do you what help? Do you, a friend oh, how do you help? Um, help a friend. Yeah. I'll, go ahead. I'll jump in. Let you think because yeah. Sharon. So we we did a podcast in our church. Um, we did two of them on on pornography, and then the second one, uh, Sharon, who's our full time counselor on staff, she was a part of it, and you know, I was talking to her right before we started recording, and uh, it was really helpful. In fact, she challenged me to start asking better questions whenever I sit down with somebody who's, who says they're struggling with it. Because my, my, I just kind of jumped to assuming I knew what their struggle was, or assuming, assuming I knew the amount and the level to which they were doing it and, and how much they were willing to sacrifice and how much they were sacrificing. What I mean by, like, was it costing them financially? Was it costing them relationally? And so I realized that it's important... Um, and, and you may not be trained enough to, to, to really handle the answers, but I think, I think to get to the bottom of it, you need to ask real questions about, okay, how often? Um, how much is this costing you? What have you had to sacrifice? You know, when you start thinking about addiction, it's anytime you are willing to do something that's going to hurt you or hurt somebody else, and you do it anyway. That's a pretty good sign that there's an addiction, I'm sure. There's a technical definition, I don't know, but that seems like a pretty decent indicator that if you're willing to like, sacrifice something that you care about, whether it is your character, your integrity, your sleep, hurt a relationship that you have, and you do it, any, if you know that's going to happen and you do it anyway, that's a pretty good sign. And so to be able to, to, to determine the, the kind and the level to which the addiction is there, I think is helpful to know what the next steps are. To know if it's, hey, we need some accountability brothers or sisters, or if it's, okay, you need to speak with a counselor, or there's an intensive program, and so I think there's some levels of steps. Yeah, I, I, I would say if, if someone, if, if your 19-year-old guy and a friend comes to you and says you're struggling, don't be tempted to want to solve his whole problem yes. by yourself. Okay? I would, I would attempt to say, yes, I'll walk alongside you if that's something you're willing to do, but, you, you know, I... And ask some of those questions Scott was talking about, but getting them to see what's called it, and trying to remember this, a certified sex addiction therapist, CSAT. Okay? Do not go to the OSU counseling center if you have a problem with porn. Okay, they're gonna 
what most people there will tell you is it's a normal, healthy part of sexuality. Don't worry about it. Okay? I say that because I know. Um, but find a pastoral counselor or a cer- and or a certified sex addiction therapist. Um, I, I would also advise the person, go through some of these online programs. $49 or $39, that is nothing. Okay, really? Um, and But the, the point also isn't do, 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 because, you know, it's like, that's what the Pharisees did. You know, they're like, do, 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 God will like me more. Um, but but learn more about this. Pray more for the women who are in pornography. You start praying for people, something supernatural starts to happen. Um, and, and I would focus on taking it far more seriously than the individual thinks that they need to. Because they may just think, oh, I need to unburden my conscience and I'll move on. The other thing I would say is I had a young woman come up to me at a school um, recently, and she said, um, my boyfriend uh, and I are thinking of getting back together. He's been addicted to pornography for a while. We've broken up five times, um, and every time I've taken him back, and now I'm thinking of taking him back again for a sixth time, what do you think I should do? I said, do not take him back. Okay? Uh, what I'm not saying is, you know, if you're in a relationship with someone, dump them immediately if you hear they ever use porn. I'm not saying that. But that person got essentially into a cycle where he knew she'd always take him back. So there, in, until it hurts, people aren't going to give up what, what is troubling. And it needed to hurt. Okay, at a sixth time, I mean, no. That, that's ridiculous. Okay? <laughs> and and there, are actually, there are places you can go away for nine months and detox. You can do that for alcohol. You can do that for porn, too. That's what he needed. Let me ask this real quick, and I don't know if you guys, yeah, obviously I haven't prepped you on any of these things. What do you do with, like, so we've been talking a little bit more directly to, like, addiction, yep. those things. I imagine there's a number of people in here who wouldn't qualify as addicted, yeah. but it is still an issue, something mm-hmm. that they, from time to time, find themselves going back to and regret <coughs> and, and find themselves in a cloud of shame or guilt for a few days or a few weeks and and make some strong commitments to God. I'm never doing that again. I will never, I'm not. And then maybe a couple weeks later, a month or two later, kind of fun. So so the person who's not really in that addicted status, but mm-hmm. is kind of still dabbling in or struggling with it, is mm-hmm. it the same type of instruction you give to mm-hmm. that person? Or no, I, I, I would say begin to develop the habits where you call upon the power of the Lord before you slip. Okay? What is the most powerful force that's ever existed? Okay, Christ, all right? When you feel like, oh, well, I'm going to entertain this thought. Well, maybe I'll just look at someone in a bathing suit. Well, right when you start to entertain that thought, bang, call on the power of the Lord. Because, frankly, if you've already opened the website, you're going down. So develop the habits of calling on the power of the Lord when you're still willing to listen. Yeah. So... There's some indicators that when when this becomes a, when this to, to be able to do that, you got to recognize you're being tempted. Yeah. And so there's some indicators maybe for you, <clears throat> common denominators. I'll just list you, I'll, I'll list you mine. Uh, relation with God isn't con- I'm not connected with God. Okay. If, I, if I'm not connected with God, if I'm if for me, if my wife and I aren't connected, aren't, aren't on the same page. Coming and going, we have different, you know, busy lives. And then if I'm tired, anxious, or bored. 
Okay, so so you 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 put this one not connected with God real well, and you add in any one of these other factors, and all of a sudden, temptation becomes a real thing. And so some of you need to probably spend some time figuring out what your common denominators are, and and and, and to to be able to to do what he's saying, you've got to be able to recognize, okay, like, I'm, th- I'm thinking about this. Why am I thinking about this? Why is that a temptation? Um, okay, something's not right. Right? When those things become, right, if it's not an addiction, if it's just, you know, you've, you're stressed or you're bored and you want to check out or, or you're feeling down about yourself or whatever, um, sex, is, sex addiction is like, or, or pornography is like a, it's like a drug that will um, give you a high. He talked about, okay, but also a crash, uh, and it's also like a a uh, oh, uh, narcotic. No, that's a drug. What's the one? It's like um, fantasy um, hallucinogen. Okay, so it's like a. Eh, there we go. Now we're it's like a narcotic. It's like a narcotic in that there, there, there is a high, and it's like a hallucinogen, and it, it allows you to escape reality. Okay, so you put that, you put the fact that you may be tired, bored, stressed about whatever, feeling down about yourself, your girlfriend broke up with you, or whatever. Okay, and you're not connected with God, and then you put those two factors together. It's a recipe for disaster, and so. To be able to recognize that is to, to recognize, you know, to, to be in tune with God and say, okay, God, you and I, we, we haven't been close. And, and, and so all these things become possibilities. Um, so I think that's a big one. Colossians 3 was a huge thing for me. Colossians 3 starts off by talking about who we are in Christ. It talks about who, where we should place our eyes. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Right, um, look to him, and then he says, and he says, that's where your life is hidden. Your life is hidden in Christ. So look to him. Look where your life is. That's what Drew was saying earlier. That's not who you are, because you you weren't made for sex. The, the gospel to, in this world today, okay, the gospel according to the world, sex gospel. Now I'm starting to preach. Is <laughs> is this that that God made sex so God made us so that we can have romantic sexual experiences and that sex is the height of, of the human experience that's the that's the world's kind of cry today that sex is the height of the, of the human experience and so therefore God made us to do that and therefore God wants us to have that and therefore I should be able to have that and therefore I'm not going to be happy unless I do so that's that's the gospel to of sex if you will to the world and so to be able to recognize uh, he read first Corinthians 6. I think one or two verses above where he started says, "Your body was not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord." Right? So your body, you were made for for the Lord. You were made for God. You were made to be intimate with God. And so that's why Colossians three was huge for me, because it was, you know, accountability is important. I think reading some of these resources and books are important. Programs are super important. Trained people are incredibly important. And then recognizing that. Your, your life is hidden in Christ. You look to Him. Okay, that's where it starts, is your relationship with Him. And in Colossians 3, 5, after it spends four verses talking about fix your eyes on Him, it says, put to death, therefore, 
these things, and it lists sexual immorality as the very first one. So there is a put to death, therefore, and that's where we get rid of the smartphone and get a dumb phone. That's where we shut down the computer access. That's where we do all those things, um, and we attack it. But we recognize what he was saying. It's not just about you doing. It's about you and your relationship with God and who you are in him. You get that right, and you stay connected with him, and then he'll lead you to put to death these things. Um, so, that's good. I don't know if you got anything else, but I want to say something about the resource sheet when we're done. Cool. I, I will just add on, you know, they both talk about the importance of recognizing when you're weak and then calling out to the Lord at that time. And it says, I, I really recognize um, in the last several years the importance of, of having a couple guys that like I shoot a text to when I recognize that I'm weak and say, hey, I'm not just going to call out to the Lord. I need you to call out to the Lord for me, and I want you to ask me about this tomorrow or the next day, how I did with that. And that is the difference between old-school picture of accountability, which is kind of reactive, and what did you do? Let's try not to do that again, um, versus what we're talking about, which is like a proactive pursuit of God. And and so not just I messed up, now i got to shamefully report this to you, though sometimes that I, I need to confess my sin, but more of also like a... Hey, pray for me and hold me to this. Ask me about this as I'm as I'm weak in this thing. So, um, let me kind of think. There might be questions. Yeah, I can. I can. So, we'll throw it open. Whether that has to do with kind of the practical stuff or more data stuff or research, if you got questions, that someone in the back has. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, do you have studies on like film and music and the effects of because things are just becoming more explicit and especially movies. Um. You can't watch a movie without Mm -hmm. something. And it's just becoming more graphic. So I didn't know if there were studies that were showing uh, correlation. I don't know if cause correlation. I don't know if the terms and stuff, but if they had. Yeah, I, I, essentially what the, what the research has shown is that the more violent and the more graphic, the more harmful. But still your R-rated movies do harm. Okay, the, the, with the sex, the, everyone has a sex scene and that kind of stuff. And, this, and the Fifty Shades of Stupid and all that other stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it does do harm from a research perspective and, of course, from a spiritual perspective. So, um, this is kind of a three-in-one question. All right, so... Three-in-one. Um, first off, I'm, I'm interested in what you teach here. I think you might have mentioned it before, but I, I forgot, or I don't know if you did, uh, mention like how you got into it, or like started doing this, and then the last one would be, uh, like, what have you kind of like learned about God through like this whole thing? Wow, okay. Um, so what do you teach at OSU? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I remember. Um, everyone's always disappointed every time I, I, I tell. So there's always a letdown. I only teach graduate students um, because I'm in a, <laughs> I, I'm in the College of Education and I teach in a program for people who want to be college administrators. And that's a, it's higher education and student affairs. So it's for, only for people who want to do that. Um, so sorry for the letdown. I, I, they, everybody wants me to say history or chemistry. Or okay, so that's, that's one uh, answer there. How I got into this is pretty complicated, um, but let me try and narrow it down. Of course, I'm a male in America. I've used pornography before in my past. Most of the people who were in this were addicted at some point. I don't believe that I was. Um, But I I did have friends who were. um, And 
about 10 years ago, I was working at a different university, and at the time, I was looking for something to do in addition to sexual assault prevention, which I was very into at the time. And it was a, um, a public university, and they invited the porn industry to come to campus, and they had a show in the student union, including a woman um, stripping down to a G-string in the center of the student union. Um, and any number of things, and the, the goal was uh, make porn more palatable to people and that it's really okay. And I was absolutely furious. And I was one of three faculty members on that campus to speak out against it. And I only had, I, I knew I couldn't use like biblical arguments because that was going nowhere. Um, but I only had sort of um, theoretical arguments. And so I realized I needed to know more about this. And what really upset me too was the guys who I was training to educate others about sexual assault at the time were supporting the event too. And I was like, dude. So um, when I get angry, I do research. And so I was like, you know, I don't have bullets for this gun, but boy, I'm going to find me some. Okay? So um, I did more and more research about pornography, and I was like, whoa. Okay? And so, and I like to get into areas where not a whole lot of people are doing a whole lot. And so, so that was... Um, so I realized, and at the same time, I was looking to God, and, and I said, I want to do something more. I want to do something more that will help the church. And then I remembered, wow, my best friend was addicted to phone sex. I know this person in the church who had a porn problem. And it all started to come together, and I was like, that's it. I need to start speaking about porn. And so that's, that's how I got into that. And what have I learned about God in this? I've learned a few things. Um, I've, learned that he's, I, I've learned lots of lessons that he's faithful. Uh, I've learned lots of lessons that he's merciful. Um, I, one of the, when I interviewed the guy who went to prison for child porn, one of the, and he's like 70 or something, um, Secret Service came in his house halfway through the night and pulled him out, that kind of stuff. Not a very wealthy man. He went to, he was in, um, he was going to kill himself while he was in the holding cell. Um, he wasn't able to. He got into the courtroom where he was having the hearing with the judge and ten couples from his church were there and they all came with their checkbooks and they they wrote enough money not only to buy him an attorney but also to, to bail him out and the bail was pretty high and I was like that's what the church is supposed to be okay so that and the, the other thing I think I learned even before I got into this um when I was in my 20s, I was pretty, um, I think, self-righteous about the fact that, well, I know all these guys using porn. I don't use porn. I just watch R-rated movies. Okay? And then I, then I realized, you know, as you think about it, I was like, well, what they're doing with their porn, I'm doing with my R-rated movies. And one night I just realized, God doesn't want this in my life anymore. So I took a big garbage bag. I put all of those movies in there, and I walked out to the dumpster, and I threw them away. The next morning I got up to go to church. I was running late. That never happens. And um, just with me, I'm early to everything. And um, so I, I get to church. I'm kind of discombobulated because the seat I always take, because I'm always there early, is taken. <laughs> I have to go to the, the different side, and so I'm like booking it all the way around. And bam, I collide into this young woman. And I'm like... And then it gets really awkward. I was like, sorry, and you know, and so we sat next to each other. Five months later, I asked her to marry me. Five months later, I did. Holy Ghost! <laughs>
That may be the greatest lesson. Yeah. <laughs> but please hear me on this. The danger in that is to think, I'll start obeying, God will bless me. Yeah. Okay. That was my experience then, and it may be your experience as well. But I think the general principle is, when we are more in line with the Lord, blessings are going to come into our life. Sometimes we're blessed with being cursed by other people because we're, we get stronger spiritually. Other times we're blessed with the love of our life. We've been married 16 years. So that's what happened. Yeah. Hey, uh, let me see one of these resource sheets because we pass them all out and I left. Um, okay, real quick. I want to say I want to say this. Um, there's some great stuff on here. Okay, uh, John has a website, and on his website he's got a list of resources. I went through all his resources and I picked out the ones I think that were most applicable to you. And um, he mentioned a couple of them in, in the videos, books that are really really good and that I'd love to talk to you more about. Uh, the accountability software is there. He passed out that sheet that has the the code on it. Um, Did we get that? Yep, we passed okay. them. We passed cool. them all out. I think. Yeah. Hopefully. And then this last one on the very bottom, celebrate recovery group. Um, the church in our town that hosts that is Eagle Heights Baptist Church, and it's on on Sunday nights at six thirty. And so, if there's a group of you that are interested in that, to go to that, I think it'd be a great thing to get some guys together and just go check it out. I mean, it's it's recovering from. It's not just sex addiction. It's there's lots of different things. Hurts, but, habits, and hangups. Yeah, hurts, habits, and hangups. And so there's, it, it's a two-hour commitment. Um, might be worth checking out. And so, not only that, but also these this text to question thing, and then Drew and Rachel and myself's phone number. Um, please use that. Uh, come up and talk afterwards. Rachel will be up here. And um, we would love to talk. John's going to stick around as long as you guys need him. And um, can we thank him again for coming? Hey, um, so next week we'll jump into uh, manhood and then the week after that womanhood. And I just want to say this real quick for, for those of you who might be going... Not a man, so I don't need next week. And for those of you going, not a woman, so I don't need to. Actually, what we really do believe that these are valuable things for all of you to know because we believe that like it's our job as a church, regardless of your gender, to know what godly biblical manhood is so that we can encourage our brothers towards that thing, whether you are man or woman. And we believe that it's our job as a church to know what godly womanhood is so that we can encourage our sisters towards that thing. And so... Um, we encourage you to, to not to not skip based on your gender, um, but to be to come ready to think church first um, over the next few weeks as we talk through marriage, womanhood, manhood, all those things. So that's all I got. You know, you pray us out. out. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna pray us out. God, we we don't come to you because it's the end of our meeting. We come to you because we desperately need you and. And I'm thankful that there is not only evidence of how destructive pornography can be, but God, that you, you've spoke it long time ago. That, that your words, that your promises, and that your truth 
is proving to be true. And so I'm thankful for that. And I pray that we would trust you more and trust your word. I pray that we would turn to you. And I pray that if there's anyone in here that is struggling in, in secrecy, where, thin, where sin thrives, I pray that they would speak to someone, a friend, that they would come up and talk to one of us, that, that it would come to light, because it can only be dealt with when it comes to light. So God, help us um, to follow you through this, this time, and we trust you with, with what you want to do. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There is food. More food. Stick around and hang out and eat. Done! <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.